Are you guys doing dry January? No, no, but I think we're a lot more, well, we're a lot more mindful about drinking these days anyway. Yeah. Yeah, we're doing like a damp January, but I think that's the the risk you take when you have a honeymoon in a month where you would want to be dry. And you're like, I'm going to drink at my honeymoon. So then any like staying dry mentality, it's like... Uh, well, I mean, it doesn't have to be like a month, you know? Yeah. Just be like, hey, you know, the first three weeks we took it easy and now we're going to drink. Yeah. I mean, we're definitely drier than we were in December. And my holiday, my work holiday party was this month. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it was like, well, I won't drink at that. And then, of course, everyone you work with is an alcoholic. And they're like, just have one. And then you're like, oh, okay. But I didn't drink that much. Like, I probably had three drinks. Was it nice drinks, though, at least? That's the thing. The first two hours of the party was covered by the company, and then they right. brought yeah. wine. Although, I hate, hate to say this, Uh-oh. but I'm not a big fan of Napa wine. Dang! Should we cut this? <laughs> no, I mean, leave it in there. Who's listening to this shit anyways? I mean, not, not that I'm disparaging our listeners. I just mean no one from my job is listening who probably would take offense. Yeah. I think the people who are listening to this podcast, you already knew Napa White sucked. Dang, that's harsh. I am, I am, I'm a little surprised, but I mean, I'm not like that surprised, but. I mean, there's a couple, there's like a few good wines. And wines are like really hard to, uh, well, okay, actually, and I kind of take that back. Not all Napa wine is bad. I am just not a Cabernet drinker. Mm, yes. See, that's an important distinction because if yeah. someone really likes Cabernets, they'd be like, this is the best. If you love Cabernets, yeah, you love Napa. But if you're a, you're an old world Burgundy girl. Yeah, then you're out of luck. You're, out, you're shit out of luck here. And I think that's the case. I mean, you have to kind of think that like anywhere that makes wines, certain wines are going to be better. Yeah. Certain wines aren't going to be as good. And if you like that kind of wine, then good. And if you don't, better try something else. Well, I also think my hot take is a lot of it is dictated by the market. Like... I think you could make a Burgundy-style wine. Oh, I see. In America. Sure. But I think that uh, American wine companies are going to first cater to American wine drinkers, mm-hmm. which, I'm sorry, Americans, you have shit palates. We got shit palates. We grew up eating McDonald's, you know, we're eating like the cocaine of food. Ooh. Our wines are going to match that what it is dang i wonder if southern pennsylvania has any wine oh i think they do but you remember amish wine oh yeah yeah that's more like a low abv brandy well because i think mostly we were in beer country well do you think that's why the wine tasted why the amish wine was so sweet oh i don't know about that i was just thinking because there were germans so we were like oh no, I think they made good beer. I think there was an Amish yeah. beer company. But the wine was like always fruity flavored. Sure, like Blueberry, sure. dandelion. Yes, yes. Strawberry. And they all tasted like, I guess they sort of tasted like Boone's Farm. Yeah, I mean, I, no, but I think that actually has more to do with the fact that they were making wine with 
fruit as opposed to grapes, which oh, grape is fruit. But which, well, okay, so then that's another thing that would be part of the process. But I think because they drank wine to not get blacked out, obliterated, you're going to do a higher sugar, sweeter wine. Now I'm getting to the mechanics of wine. Okay, <laughs> they weren't drinking it to get like fucked up or like tear with their schnitzel. They're like drinking it because it's a little honky tonk. We're in the country and you can have one little treat and it's going to be 8% blueberry wine that just tastes like a sugar bomb. But you're drinking it once a year. So enjoy it. Welcome to Sex with Ghosts. I'm Bridget, here with my fermentation healing friend, Molly. Hello. Fermentation does heal. Fermentation does heal. It's absolutely true. And we are doing part two of powwowing, which is, if you remember from last week, the Pennsylvania Dutch healing, I'm not going to call it witchcraft, tradition. We're going to call it ritual healing tradition. Last week, we kind of went over the background of what it is, who the Pennsylvania Dutch are, what the source material is for a lot of their rituals. Today, I'm going to highlight some of the notable religious figures, if you will, kind of the different types of rituals. Kreeble, who we referred to last week, uh, when he did his research, he kind of separated them into sort of three different tears based on complexity and we'll go over that and then i don't know we might play around and talk about uh more uses of the powwowing the most interesting part to me i think in the end was our discussion about like how they're not supposed to write it down or like study it if you're not using it and then like what's the line where like if you're practicing it without Learning it from the traditional ways and is it going to work? That kind of stuff. Yeah, I definitely think you can learn these rituals or any religious or I don't want to call them religious, supernatural rituals. I think intent is the most important thing about these practices. Yes. But I do think actually knowing the application of the rituals is going to be more important than your ability to read the rituals because especially powwow specifically because it is passed mostly orally there's a context to that right that you would experience through someone teaching you this orally and practicing it with them versus trying to read without that application context Mm, that's a good point so but i mean it's interesting. I like I like it. I, I'm definitely inspired to get the materials that we talked about last week on my book purchasing list. I think there's always something to learn from this stuff, you know. Um, so starting with what we would consider their saints, according to Kreeble's research and research he cites, healing was often attributed to Christian saints prior to the Reformation. So that's kind of built into Christianity. And so that's why I think 
um, to give context of like how these sort of powwowing saints are remarked, you know? So kind of like what we were talking about last time, like with the saints, like technically, like, are we saying they are actually saints, like with through the Catholic Church or like, no, they're like saints, similar. Well, so they're like or their version of the saints. Okay. It would okay. be like a Catholic. The Pope did not okay. high five this. But he, they could have. Well, if they had like a um, Pope adjacent person. In, yeah. Which wow. maybe they do. I don't know. Sure. Well, I mean, I think they all just, I don't know. We didn't really talk about it, but like it all comes from, I think the religions that the Germans brought over was just the basic Protestantism from the split. Oh, my memory is failing me. Martin Luther? Yeah, the Martin Luther stuff. <laughs> right. But this is like even more extreme because of their refusal to necessarily embrace technology. And it seems so uh, strange and unique in that way, in that there's like these pockets of like right Amish Mennonites. I could be bullshitting completely, but is this kind of similar to now that I'm thinking about it? It's like, wait a second. Is it because the split happens and then the people who want to keep like the traditional ways come to America where the more modernized people stay back in Europe? Yeah, that's actually what the Puritans were doing. Right, right. It's kind of the same types of immigrants are coming to America. It's Puritans on crack. Right. Like, they're like, we're not, let's see, they came over in the 1700s and they were just like, we're, we're sticking with where we're at. Yeah. Extra. And it's, it's so, I think it's just so interesting that one, it seems like a very, and I don't know, I'm not Amish, but it seems like a very decentralized religion. Like, it doesn't seem like there's necessarily like one guy Everybody looks yeah. to for answers other than yeah. the Amish Jesus, I guess. But I think, I wonder if that's because if they had been persecuted or something back in Europe or like driven out, they would be suspect of those powerful figures because they would have seen like the powerful figure. Oh, yeah. Like a poster boy or a yeah. spokesman would have been persecuted or something. Yeah. So they probably are looking. But then it's interesting because of the testament of time here. Like, they've been a religion for over 300 years. Yeah. And yeah. still are doing things quite literally the old-fashioned way. But at some point, like, we know the language, the Pennsylvania Dutch language is dying out. Like, I would assume a lot of this powwowing stuff is dying out as well, right? Well, I think with the internet, there's been a little bit of a resurgence. Sure, sure. But we're like, that's an, a tangent. We should go back to the saints now. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Like when Creeble started off his research, he was basically like, no one is doing this. He wrote that book, I think it was 15 to 20 years ago. And now because of the advent of the internet and people rejecting Christianity, I think there's kind of a, I think there's little clicks here and there, little groups sure. that maybe weren't there yeah. 20 years ago. I don't know how I feel about that, though, because that kind of feels like a rejection of science kind of people. Like, I'm going to homestead and not go to the doctor because I don't trust them. I think it's both. I think it's some people who 
are like, you know, biohacker or all oh, this study supports this. And then I think for some people, it's just like, oh, we need to get back to the earth. And they still aren't necessarily using science or facts and just going into God. I think, because if you think about witchcraft and occult things and folklore, we've talked about this, they were the scientific explanation until the scientific explanation came around. And right. Yeah. So I think there's always a room for both. Yeah, yeah, sure. Like they say, you know, the mysteries or the religion is just the explanation until we get more information. Sure. So, yeah, with these saints, the first one we talk about is Mountain Mary, or that was her sort of English version of her name, because in Pennsylvania Dutch, it would have been Berk Marke. Wow. And in German, it would have been Dieberg Maria. And she was kind of known for being a hermit and a holy woman who lived in Ole Hills, which was five miles northeast of Pikeville and two miles north of Hill Church in eastern Berks County. Her, um, what would you call it? Her Christian name? Sure, <laughs> would have been sure. Anna Maria Union. Accounts of her life are kind of disputed, but I think what we know for sure is that she was born to a German family in Europe, and she fled with them to Philadelphia shortly before the American Revolution. That doesn't seem like the best time to be coming over, but... No. Well, no. Right? I mean, I don't know. This country's kind of always sucked, but... Yeah, no. <laughs> But I guess the war was actually, like, happening, happening here, and definitely on the those eastern states. So that's kind of part of her suffering, right? Every saint has, like, this tragic backstory and you know hers is of course having to face the war and there's the death of her husband or fiance theodore benz having fought in the continental army after he dies she anglicizes her name to mary young and she never marries interesting yes which kind of reminds me a little bit of shipton Oh, sure. Yeah. My man's gone, so I flee because she ends up living alone in the mountains. But it's also interesting that she would bother anglicizing her name. Like, if we're talking like people living with the old ways. Oh, sure. Maybe she didn't actually. Maybe it was someone else who gave her that name. But Or maybe it's for her safety. Yeah, that's true, too. Yeah, protection. Um, Especially if you're a woman by yourself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think. I don't... That makes sense, too. We can only assume. Um, so in the mountains, she has this herbal garden, and she was reputed to have a wide and astonishing knowledge of medicinal value of her roots and herbs. People claimed she was able to perform miraculous cures. And so at an early age, she became known as a holy woman who read the Bible, performed uh, so-called Christian good deeds a big prayer, praying person. And she kind of became famous where she started seeing patients from all over the place. And in a true powwowing fashion, she never required payment for her services. And she lived to be 70 years old, dying in 1819, which is like, I think old, right? Uh, it seems like it, yeah. Today, Mar uh, Mountain Mary is considered a semi-legendary figure. And that's because of the body of literature, which includes two poems, 
an account by a Quaker writer, Benjamin Hollinshead, and a highly sentimentalized 1880 novel by Ludwig Wollenweber. And there were also several newspaper articles. So also similar to the other woman, what was her name that you just said? Chipton? Yep. Oh, yeah. Her legend may have been slightly different than her real life. Yeah. Um, in 1934, the Berks County chapter of Daughters of the American Revolution erected a monument to her. While Mount Mary, whatever the nature of her actual healing practice, has been seen for decades as kind of an archetypal powwower, there are many others who, who also acquired a reputation prior to 1901. So one of them being John Homan, who we talked about, who published Long Lost Friend. Ah. Uh, Peter Bauscher, who I'll talk about next year, and then Dr. John Rhodes. So we're kind of saying that even though she may have been one archetype of a powwower, there were also many others. Yeah, like they have their like St. Anthony, St. Christopher. Sure, sure. And they all may have used kind of slightly different methods. Yeah. Yeah, actually, Peter Bauscher is kind of an interesting one. So he lived in a rough hewn log hut. I don't know what the hell that means. Okay, I'm guessing so, it's a shitty log yes, cabin. Yes, yes. At the base of the Blue Mountains in northern Berks County. He was, of course, a famous powwow man at the time of his living. He called the practice Braca and never charged again for his service, although he did accept free will offerings. When he was Younger, it was nothing for him to go 20 miles away into the forest to powwow for some afflicted sufferer. Uh, in his later years, though, he rarely ventured from his home. So around 1895, he starts to kind of look around and he sees that all the good powwowers were dead. And he <laughs> was fearful that he would not be able to pass his ability on to anyone else. So he learned powwowing from his father, who learned from his father. And it traces back to, I guess, 150 years, basically, of knowledge and powwowing. He wanted, Peter wanted to pass it to his eldest son, who wanted nothing to do with it. And I think last week we had talked about that typically you learn the practice. It's typically every other generation, and it would be like your grandmother teaching the grandson. But in the Bauscher family custom, they're kind of an exception to this rule. Sure. And he was very adamant that you must know the rituals by heart. So he wasn't writing any of his work down. He did not use herbs or medicine and is being quoted as saying, powwow healing is by faith and prayers. We do it all in the German language. Uh, he was known for curing hemorrhages and burns. A quote is saying, I have frequently stopped a serious flow of blood in a minute of powwowing. Pains and birds, I cure the same way. Uh, he cured, oh boy, lameness, sprains, poison plague, and many other afflictions, such as wasting away of nerves, and those afflictions disappeared quickly from powwowing. I was thinking while I was reading that something so dark. I was like, uh, where was, too bad we didn't have him during the AIDS uh. epidemic. Oh, too soon. I just feel like I'm reading <laughs> AIDS symptoms. Okay. 
Anyways, so he could cure all these different diseases and ailments. He claimed to have thousands of proofs of efficacy of powwowing and cited testimonials of hundreds of the farmers in Berks, Lee, Early High, and Lebanon counties with unalterable faith in powwowing, which makes me think, like, were there even that many people around at the time? Mm, probably not, but at the same time, like, when you... I assume if you, the powwower, keep on getting, like, people tell other people that this guy is healing me. So you would think that it was enough people that it was meaningful, right? Yeah. He changed lives. Mm -hmm. This is kind of interesting. So because everything's being handed down, right? Because you memorized them and it's that application process. So he actually attributes this process to mistakes in pronunciation and memorizing, believed some of the words had changed completely by his time. So like things that maybe didn't make sense was because of like the change of the world and context of the words, which is interesting. I feel like that's one of those things you talk about when you're studying Shakespeare and the Bible, like how language yeah. alters and you don't, right. you're not using the exact definition yeah, that we would yeah. contemporarily know. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is another interesting point about the whole practicing and getting the context that way. Because I feel like you would still lose that context if you were reading it. But like practicing it, I think, gives you more room for improvisation or yeah. updating it in real time that writing doesn't yes. let you do. Yeah. But Peter believed that in order for powwowing to work, that the patient must believe strongly that it works. Uh, he denied performing any sort of hexerai or black magic. Quoted as saying, I only try to cure people and help the afflicted. Heaven knows there's enough suffering in the world. And he did believe in evil spirits and spells as a cause of illness and that powwowing could combat these. And then Dr. John Rhodes, or known as Dr. Rhodes, he also had a large powwowing practice in Berks County in the latter half of the 19th century. So he was the subject of a newspaper article in the Reading Eagle that was published about 130 years ago in 1890s. Wow. Uh, Rhodes lived on the side of a mountain off of present day Route 73 between Pleasantville and Shanesville in Rockland Township, Berks County. His home was a small shanty. These people were very modest people. Well, yeah, and they didn't accept any money for their work, so must have been difficult. So, of course, they live in shitholes. Its home actually accommodated a large family, although it's unclear how many of his 13 children had still lived with him and his second wife. Having his first wife actually died childless and at a young age. He encouraged the reporter who interviewed him to take his photograph, but the newspaper printed an ink sketch instead of photograph. It's kind of interesting. Rhodes' mother, a renowned practicer of the magic art, as the article describes her, in Rockland Township, taught her son how to powwow. And hundreds of people at Eastern Berks County would visit her from relief from all sorts of diseases. So. Very much that family transition from one to the other. But I guess that only one son could learn the art. 
He said he never charges. People are expected to give as much as they can afford or what they feel like they owe me. I could make lots of money by putting some of my articles on the market, but I don't believe the gift was given to man to use as a means to make money. And consequently, I will never do it. He also believed he could lose his power if he were to make money. Interesting. Uh, The payment he did receive for medical services was insufficient to support his family. And he worked as a laborer much of the time. He also stated that he was called away at all hours of the night to distant places. And he always dropped what he was doing and went. He believed if he refused to go, he would probably lose his power. That's pretty insane. Yeah, that's kind of like, feels toxic. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He probably didn't sound like he had the healthiest relationship with his power. Yeah, I feel like the way he feels about his power is the way like, Bosses wish their employees felt about their jobs. He would refuse to powwow for anyone whom he had ridiculed the practice in the past, or he knew who had ridiculed. So anyone who was like, that doesn't work, or... Right. Well, that makes sense, because obviously that that person wouldn't believe, so then the thing wouldn't work, and then they would be like, oh, of course it didn't work. So according to the article, Rhodes' word is the supreme law in that section. He alleged curative power causes his offspring to look upon him with awe so poorly concealed that a man with half an eye can readily grasp the humor of the situation. He claimed to have saved his children's lives on several occasions by powwowing. What a dad. Yeah, that's pretty messed up though. (laughs) How so? Well, just like, if we're talking... Toxic traits. Like it's a little, it's a little Munchausen by proxy. Yeah, like oh, well, you were sick and I cured you. Well, that's true too. I was just thinking, like, how would you expect someone to learn this powwowing, not accept any money for it, and still like live their lives? Like that seems a little uh, insane. Like you pretty much have to give yourself a hundred percent. Yeah, but I feel like it would have been easier. At this time. Yeah, we, we say that, but then we also say he lived, these guys lived in shanties. They couldn't afford to take care of their families. Like, Yeah, but every everyone at this time is kind of living in a shanty. Especially if you're coming over the States and you're getting like some free land. Close. Or you have like a, a land situation. Just doesn't seem like the greatest plan. No, I think, but I think most people moved here at that time. It was like, what are you doing? Like, it's kind of nutty. It's nutty to think about the evolution of America. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's healthier than, like, actually accepting money and then only healing rich people, so. (laughs) (sighs) Still. Yeah. Kind of insane. Could have done that. (laughs) So, Kreeble puts these rituals into, like, three different types. So, type one, he says, are simple, easy to learn, almost always used by non-professionals. Type 3 rituals are complex, difficult to learn, and always used by professional powwowers. And I think by the word professional and non-professional, it's more of an identity yes. than it is about being paid. So people who identify as like, I am powwowing, I got to catch six o'clock train to go help a guy I never met. Powwow him, that's like a professional. A non-professional yeah. is going to be like, you or I who learned like a phrase to say. Right. And we cut our finger. Type two rituals form an intermediate class composed of relatively simple rituals, which are quick and easy to learn, 
yet are used by professionals and non-professionals. So going back to type one, these are some more in-depth conceptualizing about that. So Kriebel says these type ones, they use no more than two ritual components and usually only use one. They do not use verbal components. They're typically limited to one ailment and most often warts, which if we have time, I think we'll go more in depth on that. And these ailments are never potentially life-threatening. And of course, there's no payment. So so examples of type one rituals. One of them is passing a ch- child around a table like to cure liver grown. Another one would be wart removal by rubbing with a potato or a penny, which I think my family did the potato one. I remember hearing about it for sure. Like you rub it with the potato and then you bury the potato in your yard. Yes, yes. But I will have more information on that. I don't know if we want to go into it right now, but uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. Yeah, we'll go into that later. Okay. I will break down the entire wart removal ritual. And I, oh, nice. it is much more complicated than this. And I think that might be something that we need to discuss. Because I, cause I have a feeling, I don't know. Or it could just be related to the fact that there are so many people passing down so many oral traditions that some of them end up being very simple and some of them are more complex for the same thing. Well, maybe one of them's like the, the rubbing a potato. That's like for one wart. <laughs> but... Let's say you have like reoccurring herpes warts. Okay, you know? okay. Sure. Then you do something else. Then you're going to get more, you're going to be like, this is not working. The potato is not working. What do you got? Okay, okay. And I'm sure there's also multiple types of rituals that you could do for the same ailment. And I'm sure it is kind of just like how advanced are you, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, in the typical type one performance, the powwower will ask the patient, what the problem is, and without many preliminaries, we'll do a simple ritual to cure it. The rituals often include a material component, but rarely a somatic one. Material objects are most commonly potatoes, pennies, string, or in the case of liver grown, a table leg. I mean, I guess potatoes, like, they conduct electricity. Yeah. Pennies conduct electricity. Yeah. String and table leg. That's where it's like, those are a little more strange. Mm, yes. Especially table leg. There's things you can do with a string. Table leg is just like, has one function, right? Yeah. But it ha- could have something to do with something else, which I will look for while Bridget keeps going. <laughs> anyway, so if you're doing a type one, ailments are typically minor. The most serious being liver grown. There's no payment. There's not even a donation, and usually the patient and the power are relatives or neighbors. All right, just a little aside about liver grown. Liver grown is the English word for the Pennsylvania Dutch idea of a condition for children where they're, they have stomach pain and cramps, often equated with infant colic. Uh, it's believed that it's because the sensation is would be the liver attaching itself to the inside of the body cavity. So 
I think this idea, it'd be like, the liver is growing together. This is only making me have more questions. Yes, but I guess, so if we're thinking about this in a scientific way. Which can you? Well, sort of. The, the idea. I mean, it's science fiction. The idea would be that like maybe passing the child around a table leg is making them move in ways that. Oh, it's going to move the gas and yes, the air through exactly, the body. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This makes more sense. I'll, I'll give it. I'll give that one to you. Okay. That's the only ailment, though. That's top of my head that that works for. The type two rituals have these sort of features in Kriebel's analysis. So they use no more than two ritual components, except in rare circumstances. There is a verbal component, and. It's usually limited to a certain class of ailments, so skin diseases, bleeding problems, problems caused by poor circulation. So maybe in multiple words, maybe. Okay. Uh, and there's rarely any payment for these. So examples of type 2 rituals would be the all-purpose rituals used by some powers to heal a variety of injuries, blood stopping, using well-known verse from Ezekiel 16.6 and burn healing. Did we read Ezekiel 16.6 last week? I don't know, but I do have it later on as well. And when I passed by thee and saw thee polluted in thine own blood, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live ye. I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. Right, 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 right. That old that adage. classic. That classic that we all know and love. <laughs> Um, in the typical type 2 performance patient seen by the powwower in a special area or treatment room. Powwower asks the patient what the problem is and then lays hands upon the affected area and murmurs a simple subvocal incantation. The entire ritual takes a few minutes and there is no payment. Type 3 rituals have the following features. No limitation of use on ritual components. No limitation. On ailments to be cured, payment is often expected but not requested unless the power is of the, quote, entrepreneurial type. So examples of type 3 rituals are the healing rituals used, most, uh, used by most professionals whose primary social identity is oriented towards the role of a power. In the typical type 3 performance, a client is seen by the power in a special room of the house separated from main living quarters. This could be an enclosed porch or a small room close to one of the entrances. Power asks the patient his or her full name and what the problem is and if the patient hasn't this is if the patient hasn't volunteered the information already. The patient then sits in a chair, lies down, depending on what the problem is. The power runs his or her hands over the body of the client, usually light touching the body's the client's body and special focus on the area of complaint. It's almost like Reiki. Yeah, it kind of seems like it. The power is speaking subvocally all the while so that the patient cannot hear what he or she is saying, even when the power's lips are inches from the patient's ears. That's in so intriguing. <laughs> I've got questions. Uh, each movement is performed three times after running his or her, her hands over the patient, 
powwower will make bringing motions with them in order to shake off the affliction removed from the client. At various points, the powwower may draw signs of the cross on the patient's body. At the end, the powwower will run his hands over the entire body of the patient. The ritual takes between 15 to 20 minutes. It can be longer if specific areas of the body are affected. Once the ritual is complete, the patient will typically leave money for the powwower, although the powwower may not request payment. And most accounts follow the typical pattern identified above with some variation. He spoke with a, I should have looked up how to say this, a Skokol County powwower who under the pseudonym Daisy Dietrich. And she not only repeated the movement three times, but also the entire sequence of actions. So her performance lasted three times longer than a typical one. Her ritual also differed in that the client who was Creeble was instructed to face east to hold on to the Bible. And when she, you know, did that shake off or wiped off the affliction, uh, she did it after each time. Daisy also made considerably more elaborate use of drawing symbols on the body of the client, more so than the example above. Before treatment, she asked the patient if he believed in God. In addition, she claims to be able to feel if there's something else wrong in the client. She did not find anything else wrong in Creeble. Also kind of like Reiki. Yeah. Uh, Creeble also saw another powwower named Anita Ron, which was also a pseudonym. And she treated him for arthritis and migraines. And as far as Creeble could tell, she did not use any sort of verbal component. For slightly over half the time, she worked behind him. But when she faced him, he could see her lips and saw that they were not moving. And this is in contrast to when he saw Daisy, her lips were moving the entire time, emitting a barely audible, indistinct whisper. Anita also said she could detect any sort of illness in the body. And Creeble kind of checked with her to make sure that everything left when it was supposed to. And she said it had. Um, she had learned her method from her husband, who learned from his father. Her father-in-law used spirit Indian guides. That's in quotes. Okay. So that's <laughs> their words, not mine. In his healing, but she would not reveal any more about her practice. So she, Anita, departed from the traditional method of accepting money by now taking the money directly from Creeble's hand at the conclusion of their session. So that kind of shows you the entrepreneurial difference. Well, I mean, this would, would have been the 1980s, so I'm sure it's much different at that point. Or 1990s, maybe? Yeah. 80s, also, 90s. this guy seems a little suspect. Like, I think that he was not being very honest with these women when he went in. To get healed, which is kind of shitty. Well, he's not really going to get healed. Yeah, and also, like, I, I doubt that this woman actually asked all of her patients if they believe in God. I assume that she felt that this guy was a scammer. Felt sus. Yeah, and that's why she asked. Um, he does point out the efficacy of what he found in this practice. So he says, out of eighty nine cases in which the outcome of the treatment was known, healing is reported to have occurred in 80 of them, giving it a success rate of 90%. He does also say it's impossible to test the veracity of every such report, but it's 
I think it's interesting that he has any sort of recording of people's yeah, yeah. interaction with powwowing. It is. But also, I don't know. This guy is kind of, he makes me uncomfortable. Well, I think he's like um, an academic dork yes, type, yes. right? Right. Can I say that? Yeah. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I think you're right. Do you want to jump in and talk about yeah. what you got on warts? I'm going to talk a little bit about why these things might work in the case of one particular ritual, because uh, that's in- interesting to me, um, kind of like the liver grown thing. One of the things that they talk about is the phase and visibility of the moon being crucial to the process of healing. Which and there and many of the principles are echoes of principles used in agricultural almanacs, which we know is like real to a certain extent. You know, the moon changes the earth. I should also put the almanac on my yeah books. I feel like I I actually Google the almanac a lot when it comes to like sure natural remedies or like like the moon phases. Right, but I'm kind of like. I should just I should just get the fucking book. Yeah. Well, I mean, but the problem is it changes every Well yeah, you get a new book every yeah. year, but it's a lot of that's a lot of book. But <laughs> I, I understand what you're saying. So That's a lot of book. <laughs> for instance, about the potato, the farmer's almanac would suggest that you plant the potato crop during a waning moon when the fo- moon's force is directed towards the earth. So this enhances the downward growth of roots below the soil. Plants like corner beans would be planted near, during a waxing moon because the moon's force would be pulling them up away from the earth. Oh, wow. Yes. So this is where the question of this type 1, type 2, type 3 thing comes in because in the example of the wart in this powwowing instance, the powwower needs to plant the potato during a waxing moon which is the opposite of what a farmer would do for this potato. Oh, wow. I like this. This is like the more you know. Yeah. It's just going to make you a better... This is, But this is also why you do the application versus like reading about the word. Right. Because you're like, oh, I just got to rub a potato. But the actual full practice, you would know when you're rubbing the potato or burying it. Yes. So if you are to... And it's not only just planting it during the waxy moon. You also need to plant it at the part of the yard where there is a downspout or below the drip line of the eaves, which is a location that represents the outermost boundary of the home and the outside world. And it's supposed to uh, kind of represent the difference between the familiar and the unknown and a place for illness to be relegated until it is diffused. So there's Whoa. some extra stuff about where you need to plant it. And then in in my readings, it the potato wart remedy also does involve spoken words. And uh, like Bridget was saying, most of these blessings and speaking things are done in soft tones or undertones so no one can really tell what you're saying or even sometimes they are said not aloud at all i think that maybe someone who says oh there was no speaking component it's possible that their own practitioner was saying these things in their head you know oh yeah well but 
I think there is, it's an interesting argument for intent where like, oh, sure. Yeah. You could say the prayer in your head and that's going to be powerful, but it's probably going to be more powerful. I mean, in terms of practicing, right? If you're mouthing it or actually saying it out loud, it's going to be more powerful than if you're keeping it mentally. But sure. That's not to say it's still not effective. Um, I did not read why they need to be spoken softly. There was no real... Yeah, but that seems to be a theme, so it must be a yeah thing for sure. I mean, perhaps it's just to calm... It, it is a calming for the patient kind of thing, which would be, I could see, being useful. So here is the spoken word, supposedly, at least in some potato wart rituals. <laughs> oh, I will not read it in German, but the translation, they would be saying <laughs> it in German or, or Pennsylvania Dutch, but the English transition, translation is, all that I see may it increase and what I touch may it vanish in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And other sources use the Pennsylvania Dutch words zunem, which it means to wax or increase, and abnem, to wane or decrease. Relating to the withering of the wart with the waxing of the moon, so presumably you would also be doing this ritual with the potato during specific moon phases. So you could do it during... Uh... A full moon. Well, I mean, perhaps. I don't know. But there's also thought that perhaps the word zunem is also, uh, it means both to wax and to take on. So in this case, it's the idea that the moon is taking on the wart for you. Thank you, moon. But this is, this is just the beginning of wart cures because other wart cures, as Bridget always already said, the penny the chicken feet, an onion, or a bone. And unlike a potato or a chicken foot or a onion, so those in those situations, you're kind of making some sort of comparison in your mind or in practice that the wart rots away. But okay. um, if you use the bone, instead the bone is plucked from where it may lie in the barnyard and then uh, rubbed over the afflicted part and then returned to that exact spot in the ground from where it was taken. Whoa. Similar rituals uh, using a stone can be used for other disorders, supposedly, including Sweeney and persistent nosebleeds. And then with a penny, it is not just that you rub the penny on the wart, you also have to place the penny either spending it or abandoning it at a crossroads. What? Isn't that spreading the disease? Yes, it, it is. You're transferring the wart to the next person. That feels like a hex. The moon also plays a role in this transference, so I think it has to be done under certain phases. And this wart transferring resulted in the Pennsylvania Dutch phrase, I'm buying your wart for a penny. I don't, I don't think I like that. And then uh, yet another war cure is more of a Bible cure, which is, it involves counting the warts as a cure, which is a, uh, the opposite of the idea that warts are contracted by pointing at stars and counting them. And this comes from the Bible, from the passages 
Psalm 147.4, counting the stars is a power ascribed to God alone, and Genesis 15.5, where Abraham's descendants are compared to stars, which suggests that the quantifying the infinite is beyond human abilities. So all of these, all of these things I just discussed about warts. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. I think it's interesting, too, that, like, warts seems to be, like, a big one. I feel like you don't really see warts anymore. Yeah. But I wonder if, yes, I wonder if part of this is, like, the idea that powwowing so many of the people would have just been, like, people who learned one or two spells. And this is the one they remember and pass on. Because a lot of people just were having warts. Yes. But like, because it's disproportionately um, remembered or something. Probably a low stake one. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Low stakes. Like maybe you can tell your non-Pennsylvania Dutch friend about your work here, you know, without feeling like you <laughs> blasphemed God. So I think that that's all we have for today. That's all we have on powwowing. So... I don't know. Be careful around your Pennsylvania Dutch friends because Ah. they're very close to hexing you. No, I don't. I don't think that's what we're supposed to learn from this. I felt like I learned. Uh, No, I I don't think so. (laughs) I really don't. I think that's exactly the opposite of what we learned. Think you should be afraid and hexing is real. I don't think that's at all what we learned. Oh, the moon is powerful. Yes, we did learn that. Incantations, powerful. Yeah, yeah. Doing things to help people and not accepting payment. Powerful. It's true. Or not charging people. It sounds like people accepted plenty of payment. And if you're going to get a healing thing done, you should believe in it. Because if you don't, it's probably not going to work. Yeah, I I don't know. It's hard. It's hard when you're desperate to find a something to heal. Sure, sure. But if you're that desperate, they're going to the Pennsylvania Dutch. You should probably try to believe in what they're doing. Yeah. Well, thank you for going down this road with me. I know you, we started this with you being like, what the hell is this? It's good. It's good to know because I had not heard of it. And that's very interesting. Where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Blue Sky at Molly M or Instagram at Molly MM9. How about you? You can find me on Blue Sky at Bridget F. You can find me on Instagram at Events Bridget. You can find this podcast on Instagram and Twitter at sexwithghost underscore. Uh, you show support by giving us a five-star review wherever you get your podcast. And you can show further support by going to patreon.com slash sexwithghosts. Yeah. If you're still listening at this point and you want us to discuss more <laughs> healing stuff, healing practices, let us know. Because I am, I might be interested in doing some of these other ones. Oh, yeah. Healing ritual traditions. Yeah. Give Molly some inspo. Yeah, yeah. Another thought was going uh, and reviewing some of our old stories to have updates. Oh, which ones were you thinking about updating? Natalia Grace? There's a couple of them, yeah. There's a Britney Spears has a new book out. Oh, yeah. They sound like Patreon bonus episodes. Yeah, maybe, maybe. But let us know if you want to hear about it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.